talk to you about joy, okay? Not happiness, not happiness, okay? Joy. They're two different things. And culture wants to mesh them together to make us think that they're the same thing, but they most certainly are not, okay? Happiness is, is very circumstantial. You may experience a lot of happiness right now because it's summer. You can sleep in as, as late as you want. You can stay out late. You can be with your friends all the time, be by the pool. And so because of those good circumstances, you're happy, okay? But joy is, is most certainly like life kind of stinks right now, but, I'm, but I find joy in my life. I don't know how circumstances are unfortunate, but yet I'm finding joy, that's what joy is. It's a condition of our heart despite the circumstances. And I want to talk to you about that. Now, um, I want to read to you from the book of Philippians. Um, I'll get there in just a moment. So if you want to open up your Bible to the book of Philippians, um, Paul, the writer of this book, he was constantly faced with unfortunate circumstances, always faced with, with circumstances that like just kind of sucked, if we can be honest with you. They, they just were not good circumstances, but yet... In this letter and in a lot of other, other letters that he wrote, but especially the book of Philippians, he just projects a tremendous amount of joy amongst, amongst the people that he's writing to. And so I believe there's a lot that can be found if we crack open that book of Philippians and say, Paul, man, teach us about joy. Teach us how we can, we can gather this, personalize it, and carry it with us no matter what life throws at us. So just to give you a little bit more context on what uh, kind of what unfortunate circumstances that Paul faced. Uh, I want to give you to him, I guess, in forms of a status update because uh, you guys are young people and you get status updates. So Paul's status updates, okay? He served prison time. He served prison time. He was whipped multiple times. Well, first of all, served prison time. This was a multiple occasion sort of thing. Paul was in jail a lot. Okay, hashtag jail life, hashtag free Paul. He was in there all the time. He was in there all the time. Um, he's writing this book of Philippians from a jail cell. He, as we're going to see, he was there before and he was there again. He is always find himself in jail. He was whipped multiple times. Romans perfected the art of torture. They knew how to keep a man alive um, and, and, and just dish out extreme amounts of pain on him. And so that way he can uh, just avoid death. So Paul experienced this a number of times. He was stoned, not that kind of stoned, and beaten multiple times with rods. He survived shipwrecks, again, plural, shipwrecks. He was bitten by a poisonous snake, and he experienced starvation. So Paul, not everything was always peachy in his life, and it's important to note that a lot of this in his life happened after he decided to follow Jesus and after he became a Christian. Before, he hated Christians. He wanted to see this movement come to an end. He persecuted them. He tortured Christians and even gave approval to kill Christians. He uh, did not like Christians. He had, a, he had a great career. He was a Pharisee, a Jewish like sect of authority, and he just uh, he had a promising future. A lot of people think that um, he had like the equivalent of a doctorate, so he was super intelligent, great, bright future. And then uh, Jesus knocks him on his butt as he was traveling, reveals himself to him, Paul was so overtaken by Jesus' glory, he gives his life to him in that moment and was forever changed, follows Jesus, and then all those status updates happen. So if anyone ever tries to tell you that following Jesus is easy and it'll make your life great, um, there is truth to that. But as far as outward circumstances, uh, look at Paul's life. That's not always the case. Not always the case. So before we go any further, um, I want to ask you a question, and it's this. Do you believe that life is better when we do it together. Maybe you've heard that, that 
do, uh, we're better together. You've heard that before. I've seen it on wedding invitations, on engagement photos. Uh, churches like to use that sort of language. We're better together. A couple years ago, um, the Golden State Warriors, boo, I know, uh, they, their, their slogan was strength in numbers, like this idea of, man, we are better together. And so do you believe that? Do you believe that life is better when we do it together? Um, or do you walk around thinking, no, I'm, I'm more than capable of handling anything that life throws at me on myself, but by myself. I don't need anybody else. I can absorb any punch that life throws at me, and I can move forward in that. Now, many of you are probably thinking, yeah, Marshall, I'm with you. Life is better when we do it together. But, and you may think that you have meaningful relationships in your life, but if we were to really look at it, um, those aren't all that meaningful. They don't really go much deeper than getting your nails done, having a cup of coffee, watching the game, playing Fortnite, whatever it is. Uh, you may think that they're meaningful relationships, but really there's not, not a whole lot of depth to it. So this idea that are we better when we do life together, I think that Paul, especially in this book of Philippians and finding joy out of that, he's got a lot to say. Okay, that being said, Philippians chapter 1, got your, who's got their Bible here? Physical, physical copy? No, I mean, phones are good, good, that's all for that. But before we dive into this, guys, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Boys, bring your Bible. If there's a cute girl next to you, she doesn't have a Bible, let her read off your Bible. I'm looking out for you guys. Come on. (laughs) Bring your Bible to church. So Philippians chapter 1, whether it's on a phone, we will have it on the screen. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, starting at the very beginning, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, again, he's writing to the people in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you, peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, so it's very clear that Paul loves the people in Philippi. He loves these Philippians. And, and the thing that you've got to notice here is that Paul doesn't use this, this sort of affection in other, in other letters of his. He loves, he says, he tells people that he's thankful for them. But whenever it comes to this book of Philippians, there's no rebuke in it at all. When you read Corinthians, when you read Romans, you'll see him say, stop doing this. Okay, men knock this off. Women stop doing this and start doing this. But Paul, he, there's none of that in Philippians. I believe it's because we, we get a great picture here of what a mature Christian is to look like, what a mature church is to look like. So the Philippians are likely getting it right. So I think in order to really appreciate this book, I love the book of Philippians. It's my hope that you can read it. You can read it in one setting if you want. Um, it's very short, four chapters. Um, but I think in order to really appreciate this book for all that it is, it'd be really helpful to, to look in the beginnings of Philippians. So if you've got a physical Bible, Keep your thumb in Philippians and turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, here we see um, Paul plant the church in Philippi. So Paul, yes, he was a missionary. Yes, he went out and spread the gospel of Jesus, but he didn't just let it sit there. He, He recognized leaders and established churches so people can come. They can worship together. They can read scripture together. They can encourage one another. A lot like what you're seeing here before you tonight or this morning. So um, Paul established a church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Okay, so Paul is in Philippi at this point, and he says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. 
and we sat down and spoke to the women that had came there. And who, one who heard us was named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. I've been working on that all week. Thyatira. Nailed it. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after this, she was baptized and her household as well. She, ar- she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia, first person to meet Jesus in Philippi. She was a dealer of purple goods, this purple cloth. Um, in, this, in this city of Thyatira, they were, they were known for this purple cloth trade. So think of her like she's in the fashion industry. Okay, Gucci designer, really fashionista. She knew um, her fashion. She was likely very successful, probably had some wealth to her. Um, and so fashionista Lydia, first person to meet Jesus. We go on in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and uh, bought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So there's a slave girl here that they encounter, and she has an evil spirit that comes on her, and it allows her to predict people's futures, and people would pay her slave owners a whole lot of money to get their fortune told. And so this is, this is what's happening here. The owners are making a lot of money off her um, And verse 17 says, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. And I love this next part here. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I guess sometimes we think St. Paul, he gets annoyed. Um, He gets very annoyed, turned to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Person number two, slave girl. Had an evil spirit on her by a miraculous Holy Spirit moment. Um, Jesus comes in and changes her forever. So we got Lydia, we got the slave girl, and uh, and it's important to note here that this did not make the slave owners happy. All their hope to make a profit was now flushed down the toilet because there was no more evil spirit. They can no longer make money, and so they get very aggravated at Paul and Silas, seize them, beat them, whip them, and throw them in the jail again. Hashtag free Paul. He's in there again. Uh, Acts chapter 16, we're going to fast forward to verse 25 here. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Again, if you opposed the gospel and you opposed Jesus, Paul was so irritating to you. It doesn't matter if you beat him, whip him, throw him in jail. He's still singing praises to God. God, I, don't, I know that everything around me seems to be unfortunate right now. I know everything around me seems like it gives me reason to be frustrated. It gives me reason to be mad, but I know that you are still good, and so I'm going to still think about you. I'm still going to declare your goodness, and I'm still going to sing about you. And the prisoners were were listening to them. I love that. They must have been able to harmonize well. They were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all still here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before them, uh, before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they took, uh, and then he took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds because they had been beaten and whipped. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire family that he had believed in God. All right, that's it. That's, that's the core team. Those are the people that met Jesus in Philippi. Those are the leaders um, of the church that Paul had come to establish in Philippi. That's it. We got Lydia, the, the Gucci designer, fashionista. We got the slave girl who was forever changed by a Holy Spirit moment that drove that evil spirit out of her. We have the jailer, and that's it. Those are, those are the three that, that Luke, the author of Acts, records who had come to meet Jesus. And, and, and that's why, flipping back to Philippians, uh, verse 3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul is reminding himself of the events that took place in Philippi, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul's saying, hey, you guys aren't just my friends. I like you a lot, but you're not just my friends. You are my gospel partners. We are linked arm in arm for a specific purpose on this earth to spread the gospel to, to every corner of this world so that um, people can come and meet Jesus. That's the goal. We're not just friends. We are gospel partners. We are doing life together for a specific reason. Now, it's important, again, to note that Paul, although he's a prison, in a prison cell writing this book of Philippians, he does not allow himself to be a prisoner of his emotions. He's got every right to be frustrated. He's got every right to, to be discouraged. But yet he recalls everything that's happened in Lydia's life, in the slave girl's life, in the jailer's life. And he's thinking about these things, and he's finding joy that, 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 that God did something miraculous in their life. And he, so Paul's experiencing joy because he's controlling his thoughts, and he knows that they're experiencing joy because they're doing life together, that God's doing a good work in them. Look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He said, hey, remember that first day, Lydia? Remember whenever you had, had rejected paganism, that, that Caesar was God? You rejected polytheism, that there was multiple gods? And you knew the Jews fascinated you. You knew that there was one God, and then the gospel was presented to you, and you gave your life to Jesus. Remember that first day? Man, I, 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 I long to know the transformation that has taken place in your life since then. Most scholars believe that from, from Acts chapter 16, when Paul planted that church, to whenever he's writing to them is about 10 years. So Paul's saying, man, I, I, I long to know the transformation in your life, Lydia. What are you doing with, with the purple trade? What are you doing um, with, your, with your fashion industry for the, for the sake of the gospel? What has happened in your life? I long to know about it. Slave girl, how old are you now? Do you got a family? Do you got kids? What are you doing for the gospel? The, the jailer, do you remember? Do you remember whenever God, whenever there was no hope for you? You were about to commit suicide, man. There was no hope in your life, but yet Jesus came in, and he showed you his grace, and he showed you that there's still hope, and he showed you that he wanted to write a better story with your life. Do you remember that first day? But don't get discouraged because God is transforming your heart. He wants to do a good work in you. He wants to do a good work in you. He's not as concerned about the, about the work around you. How true is that? How, how many of you in your prayers do you talk about the, the situations and the circumstances around you? 
God, I really need a job this summer. Will you please make that happen? God, I'm single right now. It really sucks. Will you please make that happen? God, uh, you know, my, my, my aunt, she's struggling with cancer. Will you please, please help her out? And don't get me wrong. God wants us to talk to him about everything in our lives, everything. But God is so much more concerned about the work to be done in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls. That's his priority. And so let me tell you, at least 60% of your time in prayer needs to be praying about yourself in your heart, in your soul, at least 60% of your time. People would always come at Jesus asking him these big questions, and he would turn it around and say, no, 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 I want to know about your heart. So be talking to God about your heart, about the work that he wants to do in you. And this should give us hope, because Paul realizes here that transformation is a slow process. Yes, in a moment, Jesus can come in, he can, he can make our relationship right with God, but transformation is a slow process, and this should give us hope. Because some of you are like, man, I've, I've given my life to Jesus six months ago, and I'm still struggling with this. I gave my life to Jesus two years ago, and I'm still struggling with this. Some of us, we've been in church our whole lives, and we're still struggling with this. It's a slow process, transformation is. And Paul realizes that, and that's why he's encouraging them. Hey, don't he who began a good work in you. It's more up to him than it is on you, but he is going to carry it to completion so be encouraged. God wants you to be able to withstand any storm that comes into your life. Shipwreck, no problem. I got joy in my life. Snake bitten, no problem. I got joy in my life. Starvation, doesn't faze me. I got joy in my life. Paul, Paul is telling his, his readers here in Philippi, he said, hey, I, God wants to do a good work in you. Don't worry about what's happening around you. Focus on what is happening in you and the purposes of God that's in you. Can I be honest with you guys? Lately, I feel like God has been kicking the crap out of me. For real. No joke. And obviously, I know that God doesn't tempt people. That's, that's not who he is. But he allows temptation to come through his hands for the benefit of his children. And lately, I'm like, God, where is this coming from? Stuff I thought I was over with years ago is now all of a sudden uprooting in my life. And I'm like, God, what is this? And God's like, Marshall, you don't understand. I need to do a good work in you. I got plans for you. And before we get there, we need to work on your character. We need to work on your transparency. We need to work on your leadership. We need to work on your vulnerability so that way you can invite people in and we can, and we can work on this good work that's going inside of you. So that way, once you get to where you're going, you're not going to fall apart. Better to fall apart at 23 than 53, Marshall. So let's, let, let, let's, gather, let's gather everything we got. Let's invite the godly men in our lives. Let's, let's have real conversations with your wife and say, hey, babe, you know what? This is where I'm struggling. I need you to be praying for me. And God's doing a good work in me. And we're able to walk together. I'm able to walk together with the godly men, with Ryan in my life, and do some pretty incredible things, overcome pretty incredible things, all through the power of Jesus Christ and all through the power of doing life together. Verse 7, he goes on, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for all, for you are all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul's saying here, hey, we are all under this overflowing bucket of grace. doesn't matter if you're here with me in prison. It doesn't matter if you're in Philippi, if you're in Rome, wherever you're at, if you are Surrender to Jesus. We were all over this overflowing bucket of grace. And that's, what, uh, that's where Paul deposits some of his 
or withdraws rather some of his uh, joy from. Verse 8, for God is my witness, I yearn for you all with my affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and it is and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now I want to spend some time here in verse 9 and 10. So Paul, you, you want more characteristics of the good work that God wants to do in you? Remember verse 6? The good work that God wants to do in you, he will carry it to completion. You want more characteristics? Love. Underline love. If you've got a Bible, underline love. God wants to do a good work of love in your life. Does your life reflect Jesus' love for mankind? Does your love, do you just love the people that it's easy to love? Or do you love your boss? Do you love the people you work with? Do you love your parents? And here's the thing. It's not just, love is not an emotion. It's not these butterflies and gratefulness. That's not love. Love is action. Love is choice. Love is sacrifice. When's the last time you sacrificed for your parents? You were like, you know what, I really want to do this, but I know that there's a thing of dirty dishes there, and it would really help my parents out if I were to do it. When's the last time you sacrificed like that? When's the last time you did that for someone that you don't necessarily hang out with? God wants to do a good work of love in your life. The next one is knowledge. There in verse 9. God wants to do a good work of knowledge in your life. God wants you to be a student of his word. He wants you to read your Bible every day. He wants you to have a desire to know more about him. He wants you to study theology. He wants you to study doctrine. I know that some of those words are like, what in the world is this? But, but he wants you to, to, to learn and yearn to, to know more about him. And so do you do it? God wants to do a good work of knowledge in your life. And what happens whenever you can gain more knowledge, you'll be able to discern more things. Discernment, being able to recognize what is of God and what is not of God. Say, hey, you know what, I, I've been reading my Bible and there are some verses and I'm, I'm having trouble. I don't, I don't think that relationship is really of God. I'm sorry, but you're my friend. I love you. I don't think that's of God. God wants you to be able to, to discern things in your life so that we may approve what is excellent. Next thing is purity. Underline purity. God wants to do a good work of purity in your life and we just throw, we just automatically assume that purity is, means sex, and yeah, we live in a sexually driven culture, so the couple, the, the two are often coupled together, but purity, I mean, I want you to think of it as like holiness. Purity and holiness are, are synonyms. Think about the, the snow when it first falls. I know it's June, we don't want to think about snow, but think about snow when it first falls. Have you ever walked outside and the sun is blaring on that snow and you can't even see it is so bright that's how God wants our souls to look like now don't get me wrong yes in an instant whenever we accept Jesus in our hearts he wipes that sin stain away but there's so many of us we don't understand and we say Jesus will you forgive me of everything run over here I'm gonna do whatever I want come back here Jesus will forgive me of everything and we think he just wipes it away and those people they don't understand grace the grace that God gives us, and whenever he wipes away the sin of our lives, it should motivate us to say, no, no, God, I don't want you to have to, you know, just forgive me, and then I do whatever I want. No, no, I want you. I want to live a holy life for you. I want to uproot the, the, the nastiness and filth out of my life that is causing me to go nowhere, that is leading me to destruction. I've got, I, I want 
to live a holy life. I want to be pure in my relationships. I want to be pure in my thought processes. That's what God wants for you. Guys, you know what that means? To live a pure life? That means the porn, it's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go today. That can be killed today. Not tomorrow. Not in 10 years. It can be killed today. That means you invite people and you're not going to do it on your own. Okay? It is, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to do it. It's going to be inviting guys in. It's going to be purchasing internet software to help, to help you out. But it can be killed today. Live a pure life. Don't settle for nonsense. That means hooking up with your girlfriend, it's got to go. There's no room for that in a pure and holy life. There's no room for it. That means the gossip, it's got to go. You're ruining relationships that God so desperately loves. It's got to go. That means drinking, it's got to go. If we expect to live pure and holy lives and not just settle for God, we forgive me of everything, and I'm going to run off and do whatever I want. We have to pursue these things, but it only comes through meaningful relationships in our lives. And to sum it all up, look at verse 11 here. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to, clo- to, to the glory and praise of God. So, so what Paul's saying here is, hey, whenever you pursue knowledge, whenever you pursue love, whenever you pursue discernment and purity... There's going to be fruit that comes from your life. Jesus will produce fruit. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? Because it's, there's, there's fruit, there's apples that, that come from that tree. And so Jesus wants to produce fruit of purity. He wants to produce fruit of righteousness. That Man, this person is on fire for God. Ladies, look for fruit in the guys that you date. Don't just settle for, yeah, I come to GSM, yeah, I go to church, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, that's nonsense. Look for fruit. Saying, hey, is this, does this man have accountability in his life? Does this man spend time in the word? Does this man have a mentor? Or are you just setting the bar this low that any fool could come step over it? It's nonsense. Look for fruit. Look for fruit. And this is really the bottom line that I want to communicate today is that true joy comes from connection to a church family. Connection to a church family. And, and more so meaningful relationships. You want to find joy, you got to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you. You got to surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up. You got to cha- uh, surround yourself with people that are, whenever you just feel down, they're going to pray for you. All that's done in a church family, not just by sitting in rows here. Anybody can do this. But it's by getting face-to-face with some people in your life that will love you enough to hurt you whenever you don't want to hear truth, that will love you enough to hold your feet to the fire whenever it needs. And so Paul's writing this letter. He's saying, listen, guys, I get it. I was in Philippi. They hated me there. And if if you're carrying the same message as me, which you are, we're gospel partners, they're going to hate you too. But lean into one another. Lean into one another. Don't, don't, just, don't just settle for isolation and say, no, no, I'm, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to read my Bible on my own. I'm not going to connect with anybody. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Surround yourself with other people. Lean into one another. See, whenever you're part of a church family, it forces you to take the focus off of yourself. Not like, oh, look how miserable my life is. Look how, you know, I need help in my strongholds. Yes, man, we want to help you. Whenever you're part of a family, it, it, it starts to take the focus off yourself and say, brother, let me help you carry that. 
I see that in your life. Let me help you. Let me, let me carry this with you so that way we can take steps forward in progress here. You see, whenever you're a part of a church family, you say, again, because all, it all comes back to Jesus. We can't make progress without Jesus. We can't do it on our own. But it's saying, hey, with Jesus holding the lever here, let me help pry these things out of your life that are destroying your life. That's what a church family is supposed to do. We're supposed to make it really hard for you to ruin your life. So whenever you're a part of a church family, you say, brother, let me help with Jesus holding the lever. Let me help you pry that porn out of your life because it's destroying your view of women. It is going to be a cancer in your marriage one day if you allow it to continue. Let me pry that out of your life. With Jesus holding the lever, let, let, let me help you pry your, your desire to, to hook up with your boyfriend and girlfriend. Let me pry that out of you. Let's set up accountability. Let's text each other. Let's do what we can to help pry this out of your life. Hey, with Jesus holding the lever, let me pry that gossip out of your life. It's destroying relationships with God's children. Let me pry it out of your life. With Jesus holding the lever, let me pry that, that desire to drink and have a good time. And it's all about now. It's all about YOLO. Let me help pry that out of your life. It's nonsense. With Jesus holding the lever, let me pry that, that desire to have other people affirm you. Let me pry that out of your life. Other people to double tap your pictures. That's all you care about. Let me help pry that out of your life. It's not, that's why you're walking around with a, with a crop top with your belly button hanging out. It's nonsense. Come on. That's, not, that's stupid. You just want other people to, to, to affirm you. You want other people to say, man, she's got a killer problem. That's, that's nothing. That's not deep. You need people in your life to help pry those, those things out of your life that just don't need to be there. Are they all necessarily sinful? No. But are they all wise? Probably not. We need people in our lives to pry those things in our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, recently, Ryan has been working out with me a little bit, trying to get himself in shape. Uh, he was really hoping to have a six-pack by the beach trip, but uh, I don't think that happened. Uh, you guys can bear witness to that. I don't think it did. Um, but anyway, so we, we've been working out most mornings together, and there's, a, there's, this, there's this guy at the gym. He, I've been going to this gym uh, for about two years now, and this guy, he throws on, uh, he's probably like 110 pounds soaking wet, real skinny Vinny, like no muscle mass to him whatsoever, but he, he throws on a tremendous amount of weight, and then, and then he gets onto the bench press, no joke, he does this. He throws on, he throws on this, uh, the curl bar, tremendous amount of weight. He goes like this. I'm like, dude, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> he, he goes to shrug. He does this. I'm like, come on. You are lifting way. This, this is not good. And this is why you've been going to the gym now for two years with no, no results. People have tried to come up to him and say, dude, you, you're, you, know, you need to lighten it up. You need to come down, touch your chest on the bench press. You need to get deeper there so that way you can start being you can start seeing better results, and that's the same way for some of us in our relationships. You're getting, you're too shallow. All you're doing is talking about school. All you're doing is talking about your summer job. All you're doing is talking about things that, that, are, that are really not important. You need to get deeper. If you want to see relationships that, that are going to spur you towards God, if you want to see relationships that are going to make you holy, blameless, and your knowledge overflowing and your love reflect that of Jesus, you've got to go deeper with people. You've got to open up the, the dark crevices of your soul and shine light in there and say, guys, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I need help. I am so grateful for Ryan in my life because that's a guy that constantly, when I need it, kicks me in the tail. Whenever I was dating Michelle, he would constantly, he would constantly be talking to me and say, hey, dude, you need, to, you need to not do that. 
You need to knock that off. You need to start pursuing purity. That's not good. Even today, he asked me hard questions, and I need it. I need those things in my life if I want to be a godly man, if I want to be a good husband. I need those godly relationships in my life, those meaningful relationships that I can find joy from, no matter what life throws at me. I got one more verse for you. This is in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. This is Jesus' words. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Meaningful relationships that can get this deep, where you can open up your heart in this kind of manner, few find that road. That is a narrow road and it's got a, it's got a small gate. Few find that road, but it leads to life. Guys, it leads to life. It leads for you to one day be a better husband. It leads to you um, being a better student. It leads to you um, just finding life in general. But, but, but just having shallow relationships where we just hang out and, and we get our nails done and, and enjoy coffee, that's, that's, that's a huge road. That's a broad road, and broad is that gate. A lot of people travel it, and it leads to destruction. There was a promise and a warning in Jesus' words here. And friends, let me tell you, surround yourself with, 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 with godly people that are going to spur you towards transparency, that are going to spur you towards vulnerability. I need that in my life. You need that in my life. Now, in conclusion, I just want you guys to realize the blessing that this is. To gather in a place like this where we can talk about our faith, where we can challenge one another, where we, where we can encourage one another. This, people need this in their life more than you realize. It is a blessing for you to be here. And so, sometimes I feel like we, we get the assumption and we come under the assumption that, that there's just certain people that God can't save. They're too far gone. Uh, God they're never going to come to know Jesus. But yet we see this, this motley crew, this, this, this uh, ragtag group of people in Philippi who would have never spent any time together. Lydia, uh, fashion designer, slave girl, jailer, these people would have never, if it wasn't for the gospel, they would have never came together. They would have never done relationship with one another. But yet they find themselves doing life with one another in a very, very intimate personal, transparent sort of way. And let me tell you, people in your schools, they need this. They need this. So let me challenge you with this, and then I'm done. Whether it's on the corner of your Bible, wherever you're taking notes, make a list of people who don't know Jesus in your life. They do not know Jesus. They have not come to believe. Make a list. Try to make it 10 people. You know 10 people. Make a list of 10 people and pray for them every day. Pray for them that God would open up their hearts, that he would remove the blinders from their eyes, and that they would come to GSM. They would experience the goodness of God, but at the same time, ask God to help you see that there's no one beyond God reach that he can't save. That's not who he is. God is able to penetrate any heart that he so pleases. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for godly people. Um, we need them. We thank you for this place. God, I, I thank you for Ryan and the friend that he is and the mentor that he is and that he's able to lovingly kick me in the backside when I need it. Whenever I'm stumbling or whenever I'm fooling around things, 
in my life that I shouldn't, and I'm just kind of rolling around in some dirt that, God, that, that Ryan kicks me in the butt and says, Marshall, clean yourself up a little bit. Don't, don't just use, Jesus forgives me, and, and I can run back and forth. Don't just use that, man. Pursue holiness. Pursue purity. Pursue knowledge. God, we need that. I pray that you would give each of us the strength here this morning to pursue someone to say, hey, I, I need help. I need help in this. This is an area of insecurity. This is an area of struggle. This is an area where I just constantly trip over, over, and over, and over again. I, God, I pray that you would give us the strength to have those conversations. God, that is so extremely hard. But God, I, am, I would not be here today if it was not for those relationships in my life. I thank you for the courage that you gave me way back when, whenever I realized, man, I need a mentor in my life. I need to be part of a small group so that way I can talk through these issues with these guys. And that way I, can't, I won't be a slave to sin forever. You do not call us to be slaves, Lord, but you set us free by taking our place on the cross. So I pray that we would live like we were free. I thank you for these students, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. God, I know that, that summer can be a time um, where our thought process is all over the place, where we look for happiness. We chase it, we chase it, we chase it. Where's it at? We, we, we want to feel happy every day. But, Lord, I pray that throughout these days of summer that you would realize that happiness is not enough to sustain us. We need joy. We need a person. Joy is a person. Peace is a person. And that is you, Jesus. And we need you. We need to walk with you every day. That's what we need, Lord. I pray that we would have the strength to chase after that. And I pray this all in your name. Amen.